All right, here we go. Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Father, in Jesus' name, would you please open our hearts to what is on your heart today? Lord, some of the things that I'm going to say are going to open up wounds, open up areas that maybe we didn't want to have opened up. But Jesus, we want you to be glorified. We want to become everything you want us to become. We don't want to stop at good enough. We want to be who you called us to be and become who you want us to become, not just individually, but together. So Lord, do something in our midst that, that the only explanation will be is God was here. Do something great for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So in January, every year, we do the four values of City Church. We did come as you are. That was the, the first week, and it's about God's love for us as we are, that even though we are dark, we are lovely to God, and that God loves us regardless of what's going on in our life or what messes we have made, that we get to come just as we are. Really important. Last week was connect with God. And the, the significant thing about connecting with God is you can't do that corporately. You got to come alone. You, everybody has to be born again themselves. You can't borrow somebody else's relationship. God loves you and he wants to meet with you and save you. And it happens one by one. Now, this morning is the third value and it's called connect with one another. So it turns out that to truly be connected by God, if you, are, if, you're, if you are, God has made that connection. You are the real deal. God has saved you. You are born again. Jesus lives in you. You must be willing to connect with people. It's, it's, unfortunately, it's not an option. <laughs> we must be willing to connect to one another. So here we go. Point one, the purpose of connecting with one another. What is God's purpose? Why is God so into us not just being with him, but then connecting to one another? First of all, it is in our connection with one another that the beauty of Jesus is revealed. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. One translation says how beautiful it is. God's beauty is seen when his people are dwelling together in unity. Look at John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new command I'm giving you. Here's the command. To love one another as I have loved you. This is how the world is going to know that you're my disciples. By your love for one another. Isn't that interesting? Not The world's not going to know by your love for the world. It's going to be your love for one another. If you want to know how you're going to be treated in the army, you need to see how, the, how soldiers treat each other. Don't go by how the recruiter treats you. 
The recruiter has an agenda. He wants you to become part of it. He's really nice. He's really kind. That's not how you're going to be treated once you're in the army. And oftentimes the world is suspicious of us because we just want them to get saved. We want them to become parts who are really nice or really kind or really serving and, until we get them in. It's just very real. When, when they see how we treat one another, they're drawn. It's the beauty of Jesus. Here's John 17, verse 23. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The world will know the love of God, not when we tell them that God loves them, but when they see the gospel demonstrated by our love for one another, by our, our, our willingness to be one with each other, to take the walls down and do the hard work of unity, then the world will take notice. I, I always say to our staff, look, the church is not gonna become what we tell them to become. They're gonna become what we actually are. If we enjoy each other, we love each other, we cry together, we confess to each other, we pray for each other, we protect each other, we, we, if we are one, the whole church will eventually become that. And, and if we're not that, if we're, if we're backstabbing, we're guarding ourselves, we're protecting ourselves, and, and not really dwelling together, it doesn't matter how we're going to end up with a church that's just as divided as we are. The beauty of Jesus. So in Revelation chapter 22, it says, about the, of the last days, the spirit and the bride say come. We've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit in the world. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. He's knocking on people's doors. He's drawing all people to Jesus. But it's not just the Holy Spirit. It's also the bride. It turns out that part of God's magnetic drawing of the unsaved is a beautiful bride. But it's very interesting when you consider what does that mean that we're the bride, the Bible says, as a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife um, and becomes one, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and the church. Jesus is one and the church together is one. We're the bride. So you are a son or a daughter of God individually, but we're only the bride together. To, to, to be the bride, we have to embrace one another. We have to be the answer to Jesus' prayer to the Father. Father, make them one. It's, there's not a black bride and a white bride and a Latino bride. There's just the bride. There's not an old bride and a young bride. There's not a, a Lutheran bride and a Catholic bride and a charismatic bride. There is only one bride. And when we embrace each other across all of our differences, all of our th things, when we are truly loving one another and rejoicing over each other and, 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 and praying for each other and protecting each other, the beauty of that is going to be saying, come. The spirit and the bride say come. So when we dwell together, the beauty of God is released, but that's not all. It says when, when we come together and dwell in unity, that it is like 
the anointing oil that comes on Aaron's head and comes down his beard and then onto his garments and onto his robes. This is a picture of Jesus, who is our high priest, and the anointing oil that is on him. It is the revelation of the power of God. Christ means anointed one. Jesus means savior. Christ means anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. And when he was on this earth, he was like the kingdom of God in Jesus everywhere he went. And the anointing of God was on him. So much so that that woman with the issue of blood said, I just need to touch the hem of his garment. And, and as soon as she does, the, Jesus, there's so much power. He doesn't even plan on healing her. He, she he doesn't say, I'm going to heal you. She just touches the garment and boom, she's healed. And he's like, power went out of me. Who was that? Do you want to know what this morning's reading was in the one-year Bible? I, I, I wrote it down because it was so powerful. This is Matthew 14, 35 and 36. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. Wow, I wish Jesus was here now. It'd be really great to have that. We, we could really use that now. Well, Jesus is here. But unfortunately, his part now is he is the head of the body. Well, who's the body? That's us. And when his body dwells together in unity, his oil, his anointing starts to flow. It starts to flow, and, and, and as that, that unity, it comes not just down onto his body, but even onto their garments, and it says that the oil is dripping off of Aaron's robes. This is being so anointed that people come to church and they just start getting healed. People, this is called fullness. This is the fullness of God's anointing where, oh my, you have to go there. I got there and I don't know how, but I had been depressed for six months and I just went in and something happened during worship. Something touched my mind. I'm not depressed anymore. What happened? They got, they got touched by the anointing. They, something happened that only God could do. Roger Olson, one of my mentors, he's with the Lord now. He said this. There are some things God will do for you and some things he'll do for me, but there are other things he will only do for us. I'm, I'm, I'm anointed. I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, I get the American cowboy. We're gonna, it's all gonna just be contained in this one anointed person. Uh, okay, there's some anointing on each of us, and, but it's gonna be very limited, guys. It, it, it's when we come together, that the anointed one can start doing all that he wants. You want to know what a good goal for your church is? That Jesus would be free to do whatever he wants to do. What, well, what if we had a church that instead of telling him what he should do, he gets, we just, our goal is just that he would be free. Whatever you want to do, do it. Okay, well, we're, we're not going to get there and skip over, connect to one another. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. His oil will flow as we learn how to dwell together. This is his purpose. 
So then Psalm 133 says, that is where the father commands his blessing. (laughs) We all want to be blessed. We all ask God to bless us. And he says, you dwell in unity. You don't even have to ask. I will command my blessing there. This is how I made you. When you are functioning the way I made you, I will command my blessing. Do you know that God has put some things in nature to teach us? Things about himself, things about us. One of my favorite examples is, the, is a bird called the Pacific Golden Plover. Pacific Golden Plover has two homes, one in Hawaii and one in Alaska. And scientists have been studying the Pacific Golden Plover and its migration and how it works and everything. And here's what they've come up with. Um, they have their children in Alaska during the summer. And when they are done having children, the parents go to Hawaii. <laughs> so here's what, I, here's what I get from that. It's hard work having a baby. Once you've been through that trauma, just leave for vacation. Amazing. So six weeks after the children are born, the children now make the flight to Hawaii. They've never been there. Have you ever seen a world map? Have you ever seen Hawaii in the Pacific Ocean? It is like this microscopic dot. How do these birds that have never been to Hawaii find Hawaii? It's a sign and a wonder. It is God's GPS. It is, they are entirely and completely dependent on God to make it to Hawaii. That is just how God made you and me. We are completely dependent on him. We were created that way. I don't like that. Well, get over it. <laughs> now, engineers have studied these birds. And it turns out that these children do not have enough gasoline to get to Hawaii. Their gasoline is their body fat. Well, it's a 90-hour flight to get to Hawaii from Alaska for them, and they've only got gasoline for 70 hours. Well, where do they get the other 20 hours? They fly in a V, and they trade out who's in front to block block the wind. And so... Not only are they created completely dependent on God, but they're also created by design interdependent on one another. They can't get to Hawaii without each other. And so here's how God made you. You can be saved and go to heaven with just Jesus. Absolutely. But I'll guarantee you, you will never fulfill your full destiny without us. Why? Because you're 20 hours short. You're going to drown in the Pacific Ocean. Your destiny will drown in the Pacific Ocean because you can't make it without us. I don't like that. Get over it. <laughs> this, is, this is how God made us. So we have got some dear friends, Glenn and Vicki Smith, and they pastored at Metro, and I was on their board, their overseeing board, and, and then he started a new ministry. He turned the church over and and he, him, and him and his wife started a, a ministry called Shepherd to Shepherd. And it's about caring for traumatized pastors and their wives, and it's a place for them to get better. And so I'm, I serve on his board for that now. And, and so he says last year, 
I want all of my board members to come out and actually go through what I'm doing for others, what Vicki and I are doing for others. And, and I'm like, okay, we can do that. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm doing it to serve Glenn. I'm, I don't need it. I'm not a traumatized pastor. I'm going to go out there because Glenn wants me to, and we can do this for our friend. Have you ever been surprise attacked by God? Have you ever thought you were going there for one thing and it ends up being something completely different? So we get out there and it's just really nice. Everything is nice and, and we meet, have our first session in the morning and, and they're, they're, we're, we're, we're praying together and, and our first assignment is to make this lifeline of our life and that we are to highlight every time there has been a change a conflict, or a crisis. And so we, we just go through our life. We get the whole afternoon to do that. They, you know, they leave us alone, and we, we, it's kind of fun the first day. You, know, you kind of go over your life, and here's a crisis, here's a crisis, here's a conflict, here's, here's a change. And, and so day one, feeling good. Day two. Now, it turns out that whenever you go through a crisis or a conflict, or a change, that you, you make theologies around them. Like you learn things about, from God, and, and oftentimes in our dark times, we learn really important things about God. And, and so he, he wanted us to write down the theology that came out of these crisis, change, and conflicts. But it turns out that you also get bad theology when you go through crisis, conflict, and pain, and you start believing stuff because of the pain, because of the wound, because of the hurt, that's just not true, but you, you, you are believing it. Okay, well, I've never delved that deep, and so we start doing this wrong theology things, and I'm, I'm stunned, and you guys are going to hear a couple of my, my wrong theologies in the next point. But something happened to me during the week. It was God's little living parable, if you would. I'm getting dressed one day, and Alice says, Tom, stop. There's something wrong. And she, there's something on my back. And I've had skin cancer before, and so she's, she's watching. And, of course, this is in a place I couldn't see. And she said she gets really close to it, and it's red, and it's swollen. And she says, Tom, you've got a tick. There's a little tick in there. And... Uh, and so we, we go upstairs, and it turns out Glenn is an expert on ticks. Glenn almost died from a tick. He got, he got this poisonous type of rare tick. The doctors looked for why he was, he was slowly dying, and they couldn't figure out why. And finally, they found out, oh, my, this is a tick. Glenn knows everything about ticks. He, he's, if you're going to have a tick, go to Glenn. <laughs> Glenn's like, oh, we'll take care of that. And so he... He does the match thing, and, and he applies it and gets that thing moving, and really, within five minutes, I am, I'm tick-free. <laughs> but here's what, here's what God was doing the whole week. He's like, Tom, you couldn't see that tick yourself. I needed somebody else to say there's something wrong. I couldn't see it. 
And once we saw it, I didn't know how to get rid of it. Somebody else, and I had, what did I do to get Glenn to do it? I just had to let Glenn do something for me that I couldn't do for myself. I needed somebody else's wisdom, somebody else's expertise to touch the area that I couldn't touch. And then all of a sudden, I was better. This is a living picture of God saying, we need each other. We need each other. Otherwise, you're going to have an un, a hidden tick that's slowly killing you. If you isolate yourself from us, but God's given us to you so we can see things maybe you can't see, so that we can bring our wisdom, our expertise, so that we can help you, so that that which could kill you over a long period of time, and you have no idea what's wrong, could be gone in five minutes just because you were willing to be with people. All right, that's point one. Here's point two. So first is the purpose of connecting with one another. We reveal the beauty of Jesus. We reveal the power of Jesus. And this is where the commanded blessing comes because we were created to be interdependent. All right, here's point two. The difficulties in connecting with one another. Number one, we're being opposed. There is an enemy there is a devil, there are demons, there's a kingdom of darkness, they are very active. I know that's unpleasant to think of, but it's real. And we, we need to understand that, that, that we're being opposed. There's spiritual enemies that you can't see that are opposing you and me. And Jesus gave a principle, and here it is. A kingdom divided will not stand. A house divided will not stand. And a church divided will not stand. Even though God loves us, even though God's for us, even though Jesus died for us, even though God's poured out all this grace, if we get divided, even though we've got all that going for us, we will not stand. In fact, we will be involved in something called anti-evangelism. What a what is that anti-evangelism? Oh, evangelism is when people look at the church and become convinced God doesn't exist because the church is divided, the church is powerless, it's not anointed, it's, it's ugly, and how could that be God? <laughs> how could God exist if that's what the church looks like? There's been lots of anti-evangelism in America, and I mean, it's just had his way in a number of things. Am I down on the American church? No, God's got a great plan for the American church. He's got a great plan. But we, we need to recognize that there's an enemy that's trying to divide us. So here's Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and sin not. Being angry is part of being in the image of God. We should all be angry when there's an injustice. It's not fair. That, that rises up in the human spirit. If you can never experience anger towards injustice, there's something emotionally crippled in you, okay? It should, we should be angry at injustice. And then it says, and sin not. Oh, it is so easy to sin when you're angry. It's so easy to sin with your words, to say things that you shouldn't say. And the secondly, you sin in anger when you go to bed angry. It turns out that our anger has to be processed directly with God. We have to take what we're angry about, our injustices, and bring it to God and deal with it. God's answer for injustice is the cross. 
And, 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 and so he's got a very different strategy. The Bible actually says that the anger of man will not work the righteousness of God. Even though the anger of man is all about righteousness and all about we're gonna do this. But anything fueled by anger, it's not gonna, in the end, it's not gonna make things better. It's actually gonna make things worse. So we need to process our anger with God and, and forgive. And the Bible says that if you go to bed angry, that you have now made, verse 27, an opportunity. Is that the word that you use there? Give the devil a foothold. Another translation, don't make an opportunity for the devil. So here's what I've learned about the devil. If you make an opportunity, he'll take it. He's very frustrated by the church. When you are walking with God, when you are obedient, when you're forgiving and you're loving people, he can't touch you. His authority has been stripped. So he, he needs to find a way in. And so he needs to get you to believe these lies. And, and, but one of the most, the easiest ways for the enemy to get in is called offense. Uh, John Bevere wrote a whole book called The Bait of Satan. The Bait of Satan is the enemy strategizing to get you offended. He, didn't, he shouldn't have done that. He, he looked at me wrong. He said the wrong thing. He did that, that, that. And you get offended. And um, oftentimes in our offense... Instead of doing the hard work of making it right with the person that offended us, it's much easier, we found, to go to somebody else and say, do you know what he did? Da-da-da-da-da. You know what she did? Da-da-da-da. And the enemy, conveniently, has other people that were offended by the same person. And you guys get to have fellowship together. It says that Pilate and Herod became friends that day. And so there's... And then, and now pretty soon, it, you, it's harder to make it right because now it's a group and now we've got something called division. And so we need to be vigilant. We need to recognize a lot of the offenses that we get are not about our wife or our husband or our children or our mother-in-law. It's, oh, this is just the enemy. Enemy's trying to get in. I forgive them. Take that devil in Jesus' name. I for, Jesus forgave me, I forgive them in Jesus' name. Done. Boom. Don't have to mull over it. Don't have to go around thinking about how I'm going to get back at them or how horrible it is or, you know, just refueling the anger. Whenever I think about it, I get angry. Yep. Whenever I think about the cross, it makes me want to forgive. Think, stop thinking about it. Start thinking about what Jesus did. Start thinking about forgiveness. Start thinking about the beauty of Jesus. I am called to reveal the beauty of Jesus and I'm not letting the devil in. Why is it hard, or the difficulties of connecting with one another? Simply, number two, we have been hurt. We tried connecting, and then we got hurt. And when you've been hurt, you don't want to do the thing that hurt you again. It's just like, you touch the stove, I don't want to touch that stove again. I still got a bruise there. I, no, I've got a memory. I'm not touching it, not touching it. And so... We learn how to live independent. So we're out with Glenn and Vicky, and we are revealing theologies that we have come up with. And I am stunned at some of the things that I'm privately believing that I didn't know I was privately believing. One of the theologies was developed during COVID, and it was this. One strike, and you're out. And I, we just had... People that I've traveled with for many years in this church, love me, love this church. And then like one thing, like we disagreed on masks, so they left. 
Or we disagreed on the vaccine, so they left. Or we disagreed on race. We, we, should, we shouldn't have been marching down there, or, or we should have done more for the... Whichever side, people left on both sides. Or politics. Oh, my. You should be speaking about politics. Why aren't you saying that, that, that? And, and so for... I'm leaving, okay? Um, and then... And then the prophetic about politics. And if you really believe God and you really did it, then you did and, uh, and so what happened during COVID is, and it wasn't just me, it was really all pastors, you realize I can't please anybody. And so you get into this little, little cubicle where it's just me and God. I can please you, Jesus. Do you love me, Jesus? Yeah, you love me. No one else does, but you do. And, and obviously, it's really hard to love people if you're, you're, you're just waiting for them to just, you do one wrong thing, they're gone. And so this, this is the theology, and I'm having to look at it, and it's ugly. And, and then we, we, had to, we had to bring our wrong theology to God, and, and God, give us, give us your thoughts on this. And, and so God's like, to me, you're looking at this wrong. You're looking at the people that left. Look at all the people that stayed. People have stayed. They've given you not just three strikes. They've given you 20 strikes, and they're still in. There are many, many people that are committed to you, that love you, and are gracious to you, and you're going to make your theology based on people that left? Are you kidding me? It's not just. It's not right. And I'm like, yeah, that's so good. Thank you. And then there was another one, and it was bigger. And it happened again and again and again, uh, five different occurrences that were major in my life, but, and it had to do with friendship with men, getting close to men, and that I would feel blindsided in friendships. I would, I would think we're really close friends, and then they would do something that I would never, ever consider possibly ever doing that to them, and it's like, I thought we were really close, but obviously we're not close, and so... And it happened once and then twice and three times, four times, five times. And I'm like, I can't do men. I can't do friendship with men. I've got my wife. I trust my wife. But I'm going to just have to be at arm's length from men. And, and, and God was just in my face. And you, we had to... We had, to, we had one whole day where it's like, what are your action steps? And, and I'm working on the action step on this. And I, I really felt like the Lord was saying... I need you to trust them for my sake. So in terms of, this is part of your worship. I, I, I need you to get out there and trust again. Trust men specifically. And I'm like, okay. I don't know how, but I, but I will do it. And so, so I got a little more insight as I was working on this message. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite verses that has been kind of my go-to verse for friendship is John 2, 24 and 25. It says that many believed on him there because he was doing miracles, but he wasn't trusting any of them because he knew what was in a man. And Jesus loved people. Jesus forgave people. He served people, but he wasn't trusting anybody because he knew how bad it could go. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm never, I'm never, no one will ever be able to surprise me again because if they do something horrible, I'm like, yeah, I kind of expected that. Do you see how cynical that is? That's not a great way. 
Jesus, I got a verse for it. Well, that's a bad verse to have on your refrigerator. <laughs> so then I, saw, then I saw something else. Don't you think it felt like a betrayal when Peter denied Jesus three times? I mean, that's a deep, deep wound. Yet just a few days later, we have Jesus trusting Peter. He, he calls him into ministry. He, he says, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock, tend my lambs. He trusts him again. How do you get back up after you've been betrayed? How do you trust? The same guy again. I don't think that's a good idea, Lord. But if he doesn't trust Peter, the, the church doesn't take off. You, you, gotta, you gotta trust people. And so then the question was, why could you trust Peter? What changed? What changed in a few days that you go from feeling betrayed by him to trusting him? Here's what changed. Peter changed. So it turns out that at the Last Supper, all the disciples were saying, I will be loyal. Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. And they're all swearing their own loyalty. But nobody goes farther than Peter. Peter says, Lord, <laughs> you got to love Peter. All of these might betray you. In fact, probably. But I alone will die for you. I alone will reveal agape love. Agape is self-sacrificial love. It is God's love. It's God's unconditional love. I will die for you. That is saying, I will agape you. They might not, but I will. Promise. So Peter denies him three times. It's got to feel like betrayal. And then... They're out fishing. They've gone back to fishing. Jesus calls them in, kind of recreates the original miracle of their call. And he says this, this guy's, and I'm sorry about this because this is one of the only times that the English Bible, you can't figure out what's going on with just the English Bible. You have to go to the Greek. Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says back, I phileo you. Phileo means I have a fond affection for you. What Peter is saying is, no, I don't agape you. I thought I did, but I don't. I just, ha I, I like you. I like you a lot. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says back, Lord, I phileo you. And he says, shepherd my flock. And the third time, Jesus says, do you like me? Do you phileo me? Peter's angry now, and he's like, you know that's all I have is phileo. And Jesus says a third time, feed my sheep. And then he actually says, the day is coming when you will agape me. You're going to die for me. You're, the, the, it's all going to happen. But Peter, the reason why I can trust you is because you know your weakness now. And I, I realized, as I'm thinking about this, oh my, a lot of the things that with these other men that felt like betrayal were not betrayal. They were just human weakness. They were just human, they were, they were human weakness. And when we are blind to ourselves, when we are filled with ourselves and our own zeal and our own energy and how good we're gonna be and how committed we're going to be, you should not trust that person. <laughs> because you know what's in a man. And we've all, we've all been there before. But when somebody acknowledges their weakness, now you can, I can trust you. I can trust you. 
When people come into the church and I just love this church, the church, there are angels here. This is an amazing church. I love these people. Church is perfect. I'm like, oh, hang around long enough. The, the, the jury's still out on you because everybody has to go through disillusionment with the church. I thought the church was going to do this. I thought the church was going to do that. I thought the church, and it turns out there's people at the church. <laughs> and, 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 and so, so to become one, you got you to persevere through that. And you recognize, oh, I am dealing with human beings. But if human beings will be honest about their weakness, that this is all about God's grace, I can trust them again. All right, last point. So we had the purpose of connecting with one another. Then we had the, the, the difficulties of connecting with one another. And here's the last point, the work of connecting with one another. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. This is the New Living Translation. Therefore, I, this is Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a, worth, a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Now, I'm going to stop there before I, 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 I go any farther. So for three chapters, Paul has talked about what Jesus has done for us. It's talked about his love. It's talked about he's lavished grace upon us. He's done amazing things for us on the cross. He's broken down barriers. He's done everything for us. It's all about what Jesus did for us. And then Paul changes gears. He says, therefore, because of everything he's done for you, because of the way he's loved you, the forgiveness he's given you, the grace he's lavished on you, now you need to live a life that's worthy of that sacrifice. You need to live a life that responds to that. And, and, and this is going to be your whole life. But now he goes into specifics of what that's going to look like of us doing for Jesus' sake. So here he says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. One translation says, be diligent to preserve the spirit of unity. So, it turns out unity, real unity, is supernatural. You can't decide, I'm going to be one with somebody. It takes a miracle. And it turns out that Jesus, when he died on the cross, this is Ephesians 2, he didn't just die to remove the barrier between us and God. He also died to remove the barrier between us, between each other. He's taken down the barrier so you and I can have supernatural unity, supernatural affection for each other. And God gets all the glory. So you can't make it happen. Jesus has to make it happen. But once it's happened, our work is to preserve it. Our work is to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And he gives what it's going to take. It's going to take humility. It's going to take patience. And then I love this. You are going to have to make allowances for other people's faults. You, you will not be unified. You cannot keep 
unity without making allowances for other people's faults. Hmm. Turns out that acceptance is way harder than forgiveness. We forgive people for something they did. They did something wrong. They may or may not have asked you to forgiveness, but praise God, it's over, and I forgive you for doing that. Acceptance is harder. And, and, and Romans 15, 7, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Acceptance means this. I am going to forgive you, not just for what you did, but I'm going to forgive you for being who you are. Because oftentimes forgiveness is like, yeah, I'll forgive you, but don't do it again. Don't do it again. Well, here's the problem. People do do it again. Sometimes they just have a blind spot and it's their fault and they just keep doing the same thing and God says, yep, they're going to keep doing it. Accept them. I don't want to. They keep doing it. They're not sorry. And God's like, have you ever seen your life? How many, how many, I accept you as you are. I'm, all I'm asking you to is accept them as they are. Trust me, you're worse than they are. making allowances for one another. Thomas Akempis, one of the great saints of history, he wrote Of the Imitation of Christ, which is one of the top devotional books of all time. Here's what he says in there. He says, when you find yourselves annoyed by other people, take a moment to think how annoying you must be. Instead of dwelling on what they're doing wrong and what, other pe- what, what you have to do to, to have them around, what you have to put up with, think about what other people are having to put up to have you around. Jesus said it this way. Don't judge one another. In the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He said, instead of trying to get the sliver out of other people's eyes, deal with the log that's in your own eye first. Then you'll see clearly to remove the sliver from somebody else's eye. And this is a principle. It's a very painful principle, so get ready for pain. When people annoy you, and it's just hard to be around them, oftentimes what you're seeing in them is something that is in you. And God is using that annoyance to, get, to direct you to change yourself. And oftentimes our, our problem is bigger than their problem. And because we so much want to have forgiveness for our problem, it's easy to forgive them because they're kind of like me and I want to be forgiven. And so I forgive them and I'm going to give them a big measure. I'm going to give them lots of room. Making allowances for each other's faults. Do you know that if we will do this as a church... We could have unity here. We could have real unity here. Do you know if you did that in your marriage, you could have a unified marriage? If you would make allowances, well, she's like this and he's like that and, and, and I've, told them to, I've told them about it, I've told them to get better. What if you stopped telling them to get better? What if you just made an allowance? They're like that and I'm not their judge and I can't change them. But I can still be one with them, even with their, their faults. You could have a happy marriage. All right. Making allowances for one another. And then finally, the work. The work of unity. So we, uh, we start 
all of these small groups again in February. We have classes, new classes. We have groups that were meeting last year that are going to meet again this year. We got new groups, all different places, all, some men, some women, um, all kinds of classes, different things. We have booklets out there. What are we, what are we trying to do here? We, we want you, and I believe God wants you, to step out again and trust somebody. To step out again. It's so easy to hide in a big church. I'm just going to go to church. I love Jesus. I'll take care of Jesus. But I don't want to be around people anymore. And God's like, I need you to get up again. And I need you to be part. Of, I don't like groups. I don't like small groups. I, small groups are boring. They're awkward. Da, da, da. Yeah, I, I'm not, they are awkward. It is difficult to go to something new and be around people you don't know. But let me tell you something. God works in these situations. All of the one another's require you to sit across from somebody. Love one another. Confess your sins to one another. Uh, stir one another up to love and good needs. Encourage one another. You can't do that to somebody's back. You actually have to be connected to somebody. God wants us to connect with each other. If we've been hurt, he wants us to get out of our hurt and make another effort at connecting. He, this is how we are created to be. Here, here's the truth. The church growth people say this. People will visit a church because of anointed preaching and anointing, anointed worship. But they will only stay in a church if they find a friend. We need to connect. And what if you get into this group and it's awkward and it's difficult, and it's, but you, want, you start having coffee with one of the people in the group and they become one of your best friends for life. Was that group worth it? Yeah. So I want to pray for our relationships. Would you mind just closing your eyes and opening your arms like you're gonna receive a gift from God? Lord, there is a world of hurt in this building right now. You've seen every betrayal, every feeling of betrayal, every effort that has been seemingly thwarted. You, there's, there's stuff that was done to us. There's stuff that we did to others. There's lots of misunderstandings where I used to be close to this person and something happened and we never really talked about it and now it's not. And Lord, we've got people here that have been at this church for a long time. We've got people here that have, have been, are new to this church. And just, you know every story, you know every heart. And Lord, you love us. You have made allowances for our faults. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And now, God, in our day, in our time, right here in America, land of the independent, you are calling us to come together, to allow your spirit to unite us together, and then just do this work of preserving it. To pre just don't get divided. Just do the work of making things right when they're wrong. Treat unity as a precious thing. And then your promise is this, the river's gonna rise. There's gonna be more beauty just because you're loving one another. There's gonna be beauty and people are gonna see it and they're gonna be attracted. There's going to be anointing oil flowing in this place. The river's going to rise to the point where there is a reputation. You just, I, I don't know why, but I was just sitting there. I was, I've been depressed for six months. I went in there and something happened in my mind during worship. And all I can say is God touched me because I'm not depressed anymore. 
And it just, I, no one even prayed for me. I was just at the church and I touched the robe and I, everything is different because I touched his robe. Lord, we believe that in the fullness, the oil of God, the anointing of God is rising. Normal, regular people dwelling together in unity. And you're so pleased that oil just starts flowing in this place. Lord, I, my own personality is so crazily independent. And then we've got a culture that we can we can do the garage door opener to get in. We don't have to talk to anybody. We, we've got, we, we can do everything on video. We can do everything on, on our computer. So we don't need anybody else. And God, would you take this, in this culture, would you raise up a group of people that are countercultural, that are actually excited about needing one another, that are actually, hey, would you check my back for ticks? that are, hey, you, you, you've got a gift that I need. Would you minister to me? Just serve, serve me, and I, and I will freely serve you in any way I can. Lord, it says that David and Jonathan's heart were knit together, and what it speaks of is you did something that Jonathan and David couldn't ever do. You knit them together. Would you take these connect groups, connect classes, take all of our little mini efforts at trying to be together, and Jesus, would you knit us together for your glory and for our good? Even in this day, God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done, we pray in Jesus' name.